All right, good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation. And we're part seven of our mini-series within the series on talking about prosperity. Uh, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered, partnered with us for their tithes and their offerings. And in case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website again on lighthousediscipleship.org on the top right corner. And there's a blue button that says Give. <coughs> Excuse me. You can give from anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply write your checks, make your checks available to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom foot of every page on our website is our mailing address. And if you're in the United States, just so you know, you're all of your talks. All of your donations and contributions are 100% tax deductible, as we are a 501c3 church. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to jump right into the message this morning. I apologize. Last week we were gone. We needed a mini vacation. We needed a break. And so we just took a breather. We took advantage of that. I don't have a backup staff or whatever to have someone to preach for me when I'm gone. And so uh, that's just how we had to do that last week. And so, but anyway, we're back here, and we're glad to see you, and glad to be with you, and thank you for following us, following us online, wherever you may be listening to this, locally and around the world. So anyway, uh, we're going <coughs> to excuse me, jump right back into it this morning. We've been talking almost all year on the subject of such a great salvation. We have a great salvation, and there's a lot to talk about. And it's, it seems like this will be a never-ending series, but we are on the last, we are running third base, and we are heading on the homework stretch of finishing this uh, this segment of our teaching before we get to some new teachings that are in the year. We started off, I think it was back in February, we started talking about defining what salvation is, that, that salvation is a gift. It's not something you can earn, it's a gift. Okay, it's faith. It's faith in His grace. It's not faith alone. It's not grace alone. It's faith in His grace. Again, we talked about the purpose of salvation. We talked about the necessity of salvation. And we've been talking for several months now on the benefits of salvation. Under the umbrella of the benefits of salvation, we did a mini-series on the benefits of salvation, how it relates to wholeness. And then we did a, did a, a mini-series on the benefits of salvation for, and how it relates to healing. We took a few months on that. <coughs> And we've been concluding, we're now in week 7, talking about the benefits of salvation and how it relates to prosperity. You know, and again, the subject of prosperity, just the word. Anytime we talk about finances or prosperity, many people uh, get their feathers ruffled. And there's been abuses out there, there's also been misunderstandings out there, and there's reasons why people have done that. Okay, I'm not attacking people when I say that. But at the same point in time, it doesn't... There's no small stir when we talk about prosperity. But we can change the subject title. We're really talking about God's blessing in our lives. We're really talking about God's covenant with us, his people. Okay? And we're talking about, again, the benefits of salvation. But when we talk about these benefits, including prosperity, we're talking about how we need to trust God. We really can just make this whole series about trusting God. Okay? In every area of our lives, we need to trust God for uh, in His grace. We need to trust. We have to trust His word. We have to trust God for everything. 
We need to trust Him for our health. We need to trust Him for our will. Okay? We need to trust God for everything. There's no, there's no area of our life that's off limits in trusting God. Okay? And if, if there's any area that we need to trust God, we need to trust God in our finances, for our provision. He's El Shaddai. He's our provider. He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He's uh, Jehovah Shalom, our peace and our provision. Okay? He's God. And so I believe God wants us to be blessed. Do people abuse that? Yes. And we will deal with that later on in our, in our teachings, in our series. Okay? Are there dangers to that? Yes, there's a lot of dangers to a lot of things. There's a lot of things that God has given us that are good. Chocolate is good. Some people might disagree with that, but I don't know about you, but when I eat chocolate, I like it. It's good. Okay, it tastes good, it melts my mouth good, and I like it. But can that be abused? Yes. Is coffee good? I don't like coffee. A lot of you do. Uh, but can you abuse coffee? Yes. Okay, there's a lot of things God has given us that can be abused. Okay, and so... We have to be careful with that. But we also understand that prosperity has more to do than just finances, okay? But at the same point in time, because we are dealing with finances from time to time, most of my messages today will not be about finances regarding prosperity. But a lot of times we do, and there's a lot of confusion and different opinions regarding prosperity. But the first revelation we need to understand is, regarding the area of finances and prosperity is knowing God wants us to prosper. If we think that God wants us to be poor and whatever, then let's be poor and whatever to the max. Don't get a job. Don't take gifts. Let's just, you know, let's be poor. If that's what if we if we are against prosperity, then we are for poverty. Okay? You can't you know, and, and if your opinion, well, I just need to take, take take care of me and my family. Well, that's a pretty selfish attitude. That sounds noble. In some ways it is, in the, in, the, in the sense that you need to take care of yourself, so you're not a burden on other people. Yes, you need to take care of your family. The Bible says if you don't take care of your family, you're, you're worse than an adult. You know, so the, the, there's some warnings in scriptures about not taking care of your own. But if that, as far as your attitude goes, if that's as far as your heart goes, that you don't want extra so you can be a blessing to other people, then you're selfish. Okay? I don't have really a nice way of saying that, and I'm not saying that to hurt your feelings, but we need to be thinking besides, besides, besides ourselves. We need to be blessed to be a blessing, okay? And, uh, and so anyway, there's a lot of misconceptions. God wants us to prosper, not just financially, but God wants us to prosper spiritually. He wants us to grow, mature in the things of God. He wants us to grow emotionally, excuse me. He wants us to, to you know, be sound in our mind and our will and our emotions. He wants us to prosper physically. He wants you to be in good, in good health. He doesn't want you to suffer. Okay. He wants you to prosper relationally. He wants your marriage to be good. Your parent and child relationships to be good. Whether you're the parent or the child or both. You know, he wants you to do to, those relationships to be good. He wants your employer-employee relationships to be good. Your friendships to be good. And he wants you to even prosper with your enemies, those who uh, uh, that you don't get along with. But he also wants you to prosper financially. But, you know, we can't just take financially off the off the chart. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. God wants us to prosper in every area of our lives. Do people abuse that? Yeah, well, people abuse. People have mistaught the the, the Bible. They have mistaught spirituality, for that matter. That people have misused their emotions, their anger. Or manipulation, or whatever. People have misused their the physical bodies, and 
use them in ways they shouldn't be using them. And displaying them in ways they shouldn't be displaying. Okay? People have misused relationships, taking advantage of people. So all these things people have abused. Okay? But finances is something that we all need. If you don't think you need finances, then let's, let's push for po poverty, which I, I, I'm against and I teach against that. And I'm not, I, I can't agree with you. If I agree with you, we'll both be wrong. But at the same point in time, you know, I'm not preaching that we all just be poor as a church mouse. I pray, I, I believe that we are to be blessed, to be a blessing. Okay? And so uh, that's what we're teaching here in every area, including finances. See, prosperity is his, God's nature. It's his promise to us. It's his covenant to us. It's his provision and his blessing to us. Okay? But what we've been covering this series, and I haven't been going in these in order, I've been saying this almost every week. We're talking about God's, when we're talking about financial discipleship, because that's another way of looking at this, but we're not just talking about finances as I just said. We, we need to understand what, <coughs> excuse me, what God's will is, why prosperity, and then we need to talk about sowing and reaping and stewardship and motives. I'm kind of still stuck on this third one, sowing and reaping. That's where I'm at. I'm not really going at these in order. I am, but I'm not. I'm kind of shooting around with these, you know. Uh, and so I, I apologize for that. But then again, I'm just kind of going with the flow. It's got to put the messages in my heart. But I'm going to come back and we will deal with stewardship and motives. Motives being with, we're going to deal with some of the hang-ups hang and mis misconceptions or whatever. Uh, because how many of you know you can do the right thing the wrong way? You can do the right thing with the wrong attitude and the wrong motive. And that can destroy the whole thing. And that can make the whole thing that was good a bad thing. Okay? And it can make the whole thing that's supposed to work not work. Okay? And so, so we'll get into that. And stewardship is also a very important part. Not just with our money, but also with our time. Being good stewards of our relationships. Being good stewards of our bodies. Being good stewards of everything God has given us. Not just our finances, man. Not just our finances, excuse me, but including our finances. Okay, so we're, we're still on the subject of sowing and reaping, and that's where we're going to be again today. Okay? So my first question to you this, this morning, and I'm going to ask a couple questions right off the bat, is do you believe you have enough? That might sound like a strange question, but we're talking about uh, prosperity. We're talking about provision. We're talking about... Um, you know, a lot of things in life, but do you believe you have enough? Okay? And some of you may say, enough what? <laughs> you know? What What do you mean? That's too general for me. And some of you will say, all I see is lack. I want to do this, but I can't. I, I want to I help here, but I can't. These people are asking for help, or I see a need, but I can't fulfill it. God give me a vision, a plan, a business, uh, a task, a job, a ministry, but I just can't, can't seem to fulfill it because I just don't have enough. I know what God's called me to do, but I don't know how to do it unless I have provision and resources to do so. <coughs> so a lot of times we teach against prosperity. God tells us to do something, but we're stuck because we can't do what God's called us to do because we don't have the provision. And yet all along we're teaching against prosperity and, you know, he, he, Almost everything God's called us to do will take some type of provision. Whether that be finances, or whether that be resources, or people, or both, or all of the above. And usually it is all of the above. Okay? 
even the Long Ranger had Tonto, Batman had Robin, you know, and the list can go on and on. Okay? But when we understand how the kingdom of God works, and that's really the underlining underneath between everything I'm trying to teach in this church, including prosperity right now in this subject matter, is I want to know how the kingdom of God works so that we can collaborate and we can cooperate with the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is supposed to work. The kingdom of God is not just a cliche. It's, it's not just some Christian jargon. Okay? There's a kingdom. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus said it's my Father's pleasure to give you the keys of the kingdom. I mean, have you ever been given keys of something? A car? A home? A business? Someone's home? Someone's belonging? A safe deposit box? Or whatever it might be? Okay? God says, how many of you know the kingdom of God is the kingdom of all kingdoms? And God says, it's to my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the keys of the kingdom. We have the keys. You know, and... If you have the keys, that means you have responsibility to do something with those keys. Those keys are not just to be jingling on the side, on, on the belt loop of, 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 your, of your pants. They're not just something that you just put in your pocket or your purse or whatever. The keys are used to turn something on, to open the door, to, to get something to, to work. And to activate. Okay? And so we need to understand how the kingdom of God works in all areas, but right now we're talking about prosperity. Excuse <coughs> me. We will realize that more than enough is available to us right now. Excuse me. When we understand how the kingdom of God works, we will realize. You and I, as born-again believers, have more than enough right now. We're talking about such a great salvation. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And I, we're talking about specifically right now, the day sowing and reaping under the context of prosperity, under the context of the benefits of salvation, and under the benefits of salvation. What's, I just said the same thing. But anyway, we're talking. So, basically what I'm trying to see. Everything you need to do what God has called you to do. And God has called you to be. You already have in your born again spirit. And it's in seed form. I'm going to develop this point as I, as throughout my message today. But everything you need. To do what God has called you to do and be, no matter where you are, no matter how much lack, no matter what you don't think you don't have, as a born-again believer in the kingdom of God that's within you, you have everything you need. You have more than enough to do what God's called you to do. And you're like, Pastor Dave, that's just not true. Because you're seeing it from a natural perspective. Well, I'm, we're going to talk this morning about from a kingdom perspective, a spiritual perspective. And we're going to put this into focus. Okay? See, the problem is, our focus. What are we focused on? What do you see? What are you perceiving? 
Most of us, we only have a natural perspective, and so we don't get it. And when I talk about this, we just don't get it. And I'm, my heart today is to challenge you, as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know the hope of his calling. There's, we have natural eyes, but the Bible says, talks about how we have spiritual eyes. And I want to open those spiritual eyes so you can see. And so that you can focus and realign your focus and your attention, your magnifying glass, your binoculars, your, your bivocals, your glasses, your lens, I didn't say that right, so excuse me, you know, in the right direction. Okay? I'm going to say something, and I'm going to come back to this over and over again. We need to stop focusing on our needs. And we need to start focusing on our seed. We need to stop focusing on our needs. And we need to start focusing on our seed. And that's where I'm going to go with this morning. I'm going to keep coming back to this point. It isn't your need that deserves all of your focus. We all have needs. We all have desires. We all have wants. And I'm talking more specifically about needs. We need this and we need that. To do what God's called to do, to survive, to pay our bills, to, to, to provide for our family, for <coughs> to help somebody out, to for our businesses to work, for our church to work. But it isn't your need that deserves all of your focus. It's not your need that deserves all of your time. And it's not your need that deserves, that deserves all of your attention and your allegiance. Okay? So we have needs. But we need to stop focusing on the problem. Stop focusing on the pain. Stop focusing on the lack Stop, in one sense, stop focusing on the prayer requests. We make our petitions known to God with thanksgiving. We cast our cares upon him and we leave them there. And we need to get our focus off the problem and we need to start focusing on Jesus, the answer. It is, okay, most of us are focused on our circumstances. We have a circumstance, our multiple circumstances, and they're colliding. And that's all we can focus on. Okay? We talk about it everywhere. We focus on our sicknesses, our illnesses, our limitations. We're focused on our need. Okay? Uh, and our pains. And our lack. And where we're hurting. Okay? Second Corinthians says it this way. But though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, and that means natural, but mighty for pulling down the strongholds. I'm not really going to teach on this, there's a lot here I can teach on, but not, this is just, uh, this is the context of where we're going. <coughs> Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Again, there's a lot here. I could teach all morning on this, these three verses right here. I just want you, first, let me first mention, this is not my message this morning, 
But anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, I can bring in captivity to the of Christ. Any government, anybody who says anything against me, any Goliath that comes into my life and defies the armies of the living God, anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, any false teaching, any false, uh, any any judgmental attitude, I that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, I can bring it ca into captivity to the obedience of Christ. But I really want to just use this passage, it's a very powerful passage, I use it all the time, but there's this phrase here, bringing every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. See, hope you're following me this morning. Instead of bringing our thoughts captive to Christ, and we all have those thoughts. We all have thoughts that we meditate, we mull over, we wallow in day in and day out. <coughs> the things that we think about at night when we can't fall asleep. The things that we think about when we're in the shower, or driving our car, or whatever. Anytime we, our, our minds can be idle. Instead of bringing our thoughts captive to Christ, we are, are, many of us are bringing our thoughts captive to our needs. Our thoughts are captive to our needs instead of being captive to Christ. Are you following me this morning? Okay. Instead of Christ being our Lord, our circumstances have become our Lord. Our needs have become our Lord. Our lacks, our lack has become our Lord. Our inadequacy, our insufficiency has become our Lord. Many of us are bringing our thoughts, excuse me, captive to our needs. And most of us meditate on our needs night and day instead of meditating on Christ and his word night and day. <coughs> excuse me. We talk about our problems to everyone. When someone has a, asks for a prayer request, we will go on and on and on about what's wrong. Okay, and I'm not saying you can't voice your prayer request. I'm not saying there's not a price for that. Okay, but the point I'm trying to bring out this morning: we talk about our problems everywhere. Our entire lives revolve around our problems and our pain. Our problems and our pain, our circumstances, our lack, our inadequacies, our failures have become our Lord. Because we are submitting to them. And they're all we talk about. They're all we meditate on. In many ways, they're the ones that we're worshiping and we don't even realize. See, in Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. I, you know, i got to do a message soon on the compassion of Jesus. Because when Jesus saw a need, whether it was people need to be healed, or in this context, you're going to see, he wanted to feed the multitudes. Jesus had compassion. Has ever, someone ever come to you with a prayer request, a need, and you just had compassion to meet that need? But in the natural, you just couldn't. Well, we're going to see how that came into play right here with the disciples. They had compassion too. But they were looking at it from a natural perspective. They were focused on the need and not the seed. They were focused on the problem and not the answer. Verse 15. 
And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, Jesus, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send them up to the way, that they may go to the village and buy themselves food. They've been following him all day, they're in the deserted place, and disciples have compassion people and say, Master, this has been a good day, but we need to send the people home so they can go eat, so they don't, uh, they, they need to get something to eat. And probably need to get home before dark, okay? There's nothing else. But verse 16, you know, Jesus always, I don't know the right word I want to use this morning, but he sees things differently, okay? He said, but Jesus said to them, they do not need to go home away. <laughs> the people are fine, just where they are. You give them something to eat. Now, wow, there's 5,000 people here, and at least men, we don't even know that includes women or children, Studies show is <coughs> probably not including the moms and the, the, the women and the children. But, okay, let's just be conservative. Let's just say the 5,000 people were women and children included. The disciples don't have that kind of food. I mean, they would have had a whole train of camels going with them to have that much food. But, <coughs> I mean... Them coming to Jesus and saying, let's send the people away to get some food, so they can get some food. That sounds very logical. That sounds very noble. That sounded like giving some good hospitality and management to a certain degree. We can't feed them, but we need to send them so they can get home. You know, this has been a good day, but, you know, we, we need to send them home. They can't be here all day. Well, the people didn't want to leave. Jesus didn't want them to leave. I mean, Jesus was so, they wanted to hear what he had to say. They needed to be healed. They needed wisdom. They wanted to hang out with Jesus. Okay? And Jesus did not want to deprive them of that. But he said, he turned his disciples, he, he puts it right back at them. You feed them. In other words, that's a good idea. But let's let the people stay and you feed them. I mean, I don't know about you, but 5,000 people showed up for your party. And, but Jesus just said, you feed them. And we know the story, we know the story of the 5,000 and 4,000 that Jesus multiplied the food to feed the multitudes. And it's always been known that Jesus fed the multitudes, and he did, and he will in the story. But we always leave out this part. Jesus told them, you feed them. The disciples had compassion too, but they didn't know what happened. Their only logical, <coughs> excuse me, their only logical way to redeem the situation was send them home. Because they knew in the natural they couldn't feed them. But Jesus, knowing the situation for him, he knew the need of the people. He also knew the, he also knew the natural resources of his disciples. He says, "You can give them something." From what? And. And that's the next phrase. And they, the disciples, said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. <coughs> they have something. But they're like, We have 5,000 people here, Master. And we only have five loaves and two fish. And they're going to do it. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. 
Jesus said, you go give them something to eat. And they said, but we only have, they were only focused on, excuse me, what they did have. And what they had was insufficient to meet the need by far. Okay? And so Jesus said, bring them here to me. You ever have God tells you to go do something? And you're like, great, let's go do it. But how are we going to do it? Because I only have this. How many of you know Jesus can take what you have, however insufficient and small and minute it may be, and Jesus can take what you have and multiply it. That's prosperity. To meet not only your need, but to meet the need of the whole hillside of people, 5,000 people. Okay. See, like most of us, the disciples respond were focused on their need. We gotta feed five thousand people here. How many of you have ever fed five thousand people and you have a supermarket down the street? Okay? And you don't have the finances even to, to feed five thousand people. Okay? Like most of us, they responded, see, they they were focused on the need, they were focused on the lack. They were focused on their insufficiency. Five loaves and two fish were not going to cut it. Okay? Everybody's going to have a crumb at, at that. Okay? They're, in other words, they were saying, we, only, we have only this. Jesus said, you feed them. But their response was, we only have this. So many times I preach about prosperity and God being your provider, and some of you, maybe on the other side of the, 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 the online watching this, might say, but pastor, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand our country. You don't understand our, our community. We don't have, all we have is this. It's the same response. Just a different circumstance. We only have this. So many times Sherry and I have wanted to do something God's called us to do. And we found ourselves many times, even now, we found ourselves, we want to go to the next level. We want to get to the next phase. <coughs> and we've been working diligently, we've been working faithfully, but we can't break through to the next level. Because we only have this. We don't have a team. As a church, we wanted a team. In our business, we wanted a team. Uh, and, and, and we've done well with what we have, we've been faithful with what we have, but we we're like, we just can't get to the next level because we only have. God's telling us to go here. Like Moses at the Red Sea, God's telling us to go forward. But we're like, how? We don't have any, we don't have the resources. We only have this. When Jesus confronted the lame man, different story, <coughs> at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus asked if he wanted to be well. And he responded, I have no man to help me. He was focused on his need or lack of help to control his life. You know, in Luke chapter 11, 34, verse 34, Jesus says something very unique. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is also full of darkness. Your eyes 
or the lamp of the body. I don't know if you ever remember the children's song. I learned it growing up. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. We need to be careful what we see. And what do you see? Your eyes are the lamp of your body. If what you see is good, your whole body is full of light. If not, it's full of darkness. Jesus saw that this... How many know God won't call you to do something you can't do? You might have to trust him for the whole thing. And that's a good... Yeah, I mean, almost any time God tells you to do something, you actually can't do it without him. That's how you know it's God. If God's giving you a dream, a vision, a purpose, a destiny, it's great, it's going to be grand, but there's only one way to go there. Trust him. Because he's going to have to do it. If you think you can do it without God, more likely your dream is too short, too shallow. And more likely it's not even from God. Because you're dependent on you. And anything that's not a faith is sin. I can go a whole different direction with that. But God, this whole message is about trusting God. And what do you see? See, Jesus saw the disciples could be the 5,000. But the disciples were bewildered. How in God's great earth are we going to be able to do this? Because they were looking from a natural perspective. They were focused on the need instead of the seed. Okay? Because what they were focused on, the eye, was full of darkness, not light. Let me know you can't go very far when it's dark. But when the lights turn on, you can see where you're going. See, what we see will determine how we live. If we only see lack, if we only see need, if we only see inadequacy, if we only see insufficiency, if we only see pain, if we only see failure, then that will be our future. See, if we approach every challenge with the phrase, I only have, or like the lame man, I have no one to help me. Do you know how many times I've said that myself? And trying to pastor this church and trying to run, run my business, uh, it's only me. And I said that in a complaining tone. I'm just as guilty as I am preaching. Okay? But our futures will reflect those apparent limitations if we limit God. Because that's all we can see. We can only see the lack. We can only see, we can only go so far, but that's as far as you'll go. But if you can somehow, by God's grace, get in your mind and get in your eyes, open the eyes of your heart and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing is impossible to him who believes. If we can shift our focus to the resources of God that is within us, God is not there. God is here. We are the tabernacle of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Bought with the price. Bought with his blood. 
I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20. If we can shift our focus. See, the kingdom of God is not here and there. The kingdom of God is here. It's within us. We have the keys. We have God. We have this fullness. We have the spirit. We have Jesus. If we can shift our focus to the resources of God that is within us, everything changes. Everything changed when Jesus came into Peter's boat one day and said, cast your net, launch out to the deep, and lift down your net for a catch. They got so much fish. And the signal of partner to bring another boat and more nets, their nets were breaking, their boats were sinking. It changed Peter's life forever. Where he became an apostle. And he preached at Pentecost. And he preached the gospel to us. When Jesus came into Paul's life, when he was still Saul going to Damascus, knocked him off his horse, it changed his life forever. When Jesus was given the five loaves and the two fish, it changed everything. See, if we can shift our focus to the resources of God that's within us, it changes everything. See, Philemon, verse 6 says, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by thy knowledge. <coughs> By the knowledge of every good work, every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. I love this verse. The communication. We're talking about faith this morning. We're talking about trusting God. This, if you say this word out in the Greek, it means koinonia. The fellowship of your faith. Many of you have expressed in many different ways that you believe in God. That you can trust him. <coughs> but that faith that you are trying to communicate not only with your words, but also with your actions, it becomes effective. Faith is supposed to be effectual. Christianity is supposed to work. But it becomes effectual by acknowledging not just some, but every good thing that is not going to be, but already is in you, in Christ Jesus. It's not you, it's Christ. But where's Christ? He's in you. And in Christ is every good thing. And when you acknowledge that, your faith becomes effective. It begins to work. See, true Christianity is supposed to be effectual. True Christianity it's supposed to work. We are not a religion. We are a relationship with the living God. And within the heart of every believer exists the divine resources to change our destinies. Within every believer, there is a divine resource, resources, to change our destinies. Excuse me. Our divine resources are not impacted by the natural world. What is going on in the world? What is going on in our government here in the U.S. and in California? 
and even locally, what is going on in your government, wherever that might be, in Pakistan, <coughs> India, other countries of the world, in Africa, and throughout the U.S., does not impact God's resources. Our divine resources are not impacted by a drought. They're not impacted by a famine. They're not impacted by oppression. God's divine resources are not impacted by a natural world, and they are not impacted by our circumstances. Jesus telling the disciples, you go feed the people, was not impacted because the disciples didn't have enough. Five loaves and two fish were enough. I believe that they only had one loaf, one fish, or even a half a fish. It would have been enough. Okay. Our divine resources are not natural, they're spiritual. Okay. Our divine resources are more powerful than natural afflictions that surround us. Our divine resources are more powerful than natural resources that surround us. Or natural afflictions that surround us. Our divine resources are the seeds of God's grace. I'm, I'm giving you some pretty powerful nuggets this morning. Okay? Our divine resources include His name. Our divine resources include His word. Our divine resources include His covenant with us. Our divine resources include His blood that was shed for us. Our divine resources include His spirit that is here aboding and abiding in us. Our divine resources are His presence. The Ark of the Covenant was in Obed's house. I don't have time to teach the story this morning. But while it was there, His home was blessed. Our divine resources include His gifts, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and all the gifts He's given us in salvation. Our divine resources include His grace. Our divine resources include His mercies that are new and fresh every morning. Our divine resources include His promises. Our divine resources include the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit, our feet, our feet being shod with the gospel of peace. Our divine resources include the keys of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not here and there. The kingdom, we have the whole kingdom, folks! And we have the keys! Our divine resources include His authority. Our divine resources include His faith. <coughs> Our divine resources include His love. Our divine resources include His goodness. And I can go on and on through the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Our divine resources include His rest. Our divine resources include His joy and His peace. And our divine resources includes Him. He's here. 
He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Take my yoke, which is easy and is light. We often feel so overwhelmed with our circumstances, but many of us are unaware of divine resources that have been conceived into our born-again spirits. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23 that we were born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. And in that seed, <coughs> when we became born again in our spirits, and I talked about this when we talked about the benefits of wholeness several weeks ago, a few months ago. In our born again spirit, in that seed, is all the divine resources that we need. It was conceived in us. It was conceived in our spiritual womb when we became born again. Not the corruptible seed, but uh, incorruptible seed by the enduring of God. Everything we need for life and godliness is already in us in seed form. Peter says it this way, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? It's the same word, or the same root word, that Mary used when she said, how can this be since I've never known a man? He's talking about intimacy. It's the same root word where Jesus said, uh, this is eternal life, that you know him, that you know the Father, and you know the Son. It's talking about intimacy. It's the same word that Paul used in Ephesians 3.19, where he says, and you know, to know his love, that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with the very fullness of God. If you are filled with the very fullness of God, is that not a divine resource to meet whatever need you need? I mean, you don't just have a little bit of God, you have his fullness. Is it Jesus? John wrote it, but in John 1.16 says, of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. Okay? And grace and peace are multiplied. Multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power. That's resource. How many want divine power? It has already been given. That's past tense. It's already been given to us. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need, including finances, including resources for life and godliness, is already given to you in the knowledge of God. Through the knowledge of Him. That's how it's been given. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and goodness through the knowledge of God. Okay? It goes on to say, by which we have been given, have been given, it's already been given to you, to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these promises that have already been given to us, you may be partakers of the divine nature of God. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world, the world through lust. We're not in the world. We've been escaped. We have received salvation. We've received Jesus. We are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. And this seed allows us to be partakers of his divine nature. I don't have time to teach all of this this morning. I've been teaching it all my life. I've been teaching it throughout this church in the last eight years or so. Yet many may not believe that these resources are within the seed within you, but they are. You might not realize what's all inside this seed. 
I can tell you how many seeds are inside an apple, but I can't tell you how many our apples are in that seed. What we have in this salvation, what we have in Jesus, what we have in God is awesome. Everything you need for life and godliness are there. Stop focusing on the need and start focusing on the seed. These resources must be sown. What do you do with seeds? You sow them. When you get a seed, it does you no good to put it on the shelf. It does no good to frame it. It does no good to, to, you can do all kinds of stuff to it, to display it, to marvel it, but the whole purpose of a seed is to be planted so it can be watered and receive sunshine, sun, sun, sunshine, S-U-N and S-O-N, okay? Hopefully I'm making sense. These resources must be sown as seeds. And if we can simply open our eyes and recognize the wealth of God's seed within us, we would begin to experience much more than we are experiencing in this life. Because the kingdom of God is here. And if we can simply open our eyes, we will experience it. See, Jesus said it this way. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he used, he used parables. And most of his parables that he used to talk about the kingdom of God was about seed, sowing and reaping. Was about seed. And this one is coming from the parable of the sower. And Jesus said, this parable is a parable of all parables. If you don't understand this parable, you can't understand any parables. So if you want to understand what the kingdom of God is like, it's like a seed. God's word is a seed. We're born again of the same seed, the incorruptible seed of the word of God. Okay? And we are all sowing seeds. You might not realize you're sowing seeds. You can be sowing good seeds. You can be sowing bad seeds like weeds. But we're all sowing seeds. Even if you feel like you're doing nothing, just sitting back and watching the world turn, you're still sowing seeds by doing that. Okay? The question is, what seeds are you sowing? Stop focusing on your need and start focusing on your seed. Because we're all sowing seeds. I'm going to come back to this point in just a few moments. But real quickly, I want to go to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is what we call the fasting chapter. You're like, well, what does that have to do with seeds? Well, hold on. We'll get there. Okay? Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer you. And shall cry out, cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, and the pointing finger, and the speaking of wickedness. 
And if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, and then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as a noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and shall be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. There's a lot here. I don't have time to go into deep with a lot of this stuff. This puts fasting in a whole other perspective than most of us have been taught. Okay. But my question is, do you see it? We're talking about sowing and reaping. We're talking about focusing on the seed, not the need. It is in sowing that we receive. You can't have a harvest until you plant the seed. And if you don't have a harvest, you have nothing to give. God was speaking to those who needed, they needed healing, they needed answers, they needed guidance, and they needed strength. How many of you need healing? How many of you need some answers, some guidance, some wisdom? Of strength. That's who he's talking to. Because how I many of you know, even though your circumstances might be different than this audience, we all need answers. We all need guidance. We all need strength and wisdom. And instead of ministering to their needs, God exhorted them to give what they had. The fasting is not just abstaining food. There's a point of that, and that's another teaching for another day. But God, they had all had needs. And instead of ministering to their needs, he exhorted them to give what they had. And they had enough to unlock and unleash the abundance of provision. Look at this. Verse 8. And then your light shall break forth like the morning, and your healing shall spring forth speedily. Is that not an answer? How many of you want that? Are we not supposed to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth? It will come, it will break like the morning, the morning sun. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. I don't want it tomorrow, I want it now. Okay? And then you shall call on the Lord and he will answer. How many of you feel like your prayers are just bouncing back? God does answer prayers. But sometimes, I don't have time to go there completely right now. And then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your, your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones, and you shall be like water garden, and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. I mean, there's so much provision here, and yet some people teach against prosperity. Okay? Again, I'm going to go back to a verse we looked at a little while ago. If the lamp of the body is the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. <coughs> I hope you're beginning to see it. But I'm going to spell it out for you in just a minute. The seeds of healing are in you right now. And the seeds of peace are in you right now. The seeds of joy and authority and Abundant life and provision are in you right now. And as, I mean, I don't have time to spell all out right now, but Isaiah 58, it's talking about fasting. But he was painting the picture as they gave, as they were meeting one another's needs, clothing the naked, feeding the poor, using what they had. Their answer came speedily.
God was pleased when we use what we have, as little as that might seem, to be a blessing to one another within the kingdom of God, within the church and the body of Christ, even outside the body, to help those in need. God will always supply seed to the sower. There's a New Testament verse that says in Corinthians that he supplies seed to the sower. If you're not sowing seed, because everything you have, even if you don't have any natural resources, you can still love them. That's a seed. You can still give them a hug. That's a seed. You can still say, I love you, I care about you. I'm standing with you. That's a seed. And as you sow seeds, he gives seed to the sower. He'll give you more. Okay, if you start giving, God will support your habits. Okay, and there's all kinds of giving. It's not just money. Okay, open your spiritual eyes, church. Stop focusing on your need and start focusing on your seed. Sowing is about giving something you have. In Isaiah 58, they all gave something they have. It might not always been in the offering plate. It could have been in the offering plate. I'm not taking away from that. We're going, to, we're going to spend time on that. But there's a lot of ways to give. There's tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings, those are two different things. And there's almsgiving. There's ways that we can give. Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. There's a lot of ways to give. And we can't give what we don't have, but we can do something with what we do have. We, what we do have can be a seed in order to harvest something God has promised. See, a farmer will sow the seed he has. He doesn't have the harvest yet, but he has a seed. And he will take that little seed that he has in order to reap the harvest contained in that seed. <clears throat> every thought, every action, every word. We have the power of life and death in our tongues. As a man thinketh, so is he. There's seed in our thoughts. There's seed in our words and our acts. There's seed in our resources. The boy's lunch. The widow's oil. There's seed in what we do. Okay? Sowing and reaping is one of the clearest teachings in scriptures. Sowing, reaping is a natural law. And yet, sowing, reaping is also a spiritual law. See, the natural law of sowing, reaping is a manifestation of a spiritual law that sustains it. Well, that's a little deep. I need to spend some time chewing on that one. So, first of all, let me say it again. Let me explain myself. The natural law of sowing and reaping. <coughs> I mean, no, God created the natural law. God created nature. God, God created nature. The whole concept. God created it. God created the, God created the sea. God created the soil. God created the water to water the soil. God created the sun to shine, to have sunshine for the seed on the soil. God created it all. God created the farmer. Okay? God created the shovel 
or the resources to make the shovel to plant the seed. Okay? God created it all. And the natural law of sowing the reaping is a manifestation of the spiritual law. That's the same. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, Hebrews 11.3 says, <coughs> excuse me, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word. The word of God, a seed, created the world. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The natural did not create the natural. The supernatural, incorruptible seed of God's word created the natural. Am I making sense? God, the supernatural God, the spiritual God, the God who is a spirit, created what we see in the natural world. He created, when he created the world, he created nature. And he created nature to have sowing and reaping as a law, just like the law of gravity. It's a law. Hebrews 1, 3 says, who being, talking about Jesus, the brightness of his glory, talking about God, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God, Jesus, is upholding the word of his power. God is upholding all things. By the word of his power, when he purged our sins. How many of you know the lamb was slain before the, before the foundation of the world? I don't have time to teach all that this morning. I've taught about it in times past. I'll teach about it again in the future. But in other words, Jesus is holding every atom that's in your body, that's in the chair that you're sitting in, that's in the, the, the device that you're watching this message on, that's created, that's created this planet, that's created this universe. God has called every atom by the word of his power when he died on the cross for you to purge your sins. It's not just any word, but there's a very specific word that God is upholding all things, and that is Jesus purging your sins on the cross. If Jesus did not die on the cross, and if Jesus did not, his, his sacrifice was not sufficient for you to bring salvation. I used to say that you would just turn in the goo. My wife corrected me and said, no, you would just vanish. Not only would the atom not stay together and it would explode, the atom would not even exist anymore. God said it and it existed. And he's upholding the word of his power by the cross called the gospel. The supernatural not only created the, the law of sowing and reaping, the, the cross is sustaining the law of sowing and reaping. I thought you were going to preach the gospel, but gospel pastor, I just do. Okay. Giving is the very nature of God. Because God is love. And love. See, God had a son. But God wanted a family. And God gave his son as a seed so that he could reap you and me. 
Galatians says it this way, now to Abraham and his seed where the promises made, seed being singular. <clears throat> and he does not say unto seeds as of many plural, but as one, and to your seed who is Christ. I don't have time to redevelop this. I've developed this many times throughout the series and throughout the message. But everything that you need is in Christ. Where's Christ? Where's that seed inside of you? You've been born again from the same seed. You've been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed, by the word of God, who is Christ. And all the promises of God are yes and amen to the power of God, to the glory of God by us. There is no hardness if there's no seed sown. God sowed Jesus so he could reap you and me. In 1 Kings, I don't have time to read all this, but we have the story of the widow. And Elijah demanded food and water from a widow. How rude. <laughs> okay? But her offering was seed. That opened the door for her and her sons to survive for the next three years. And the feeding of the 5,000, we've already covered it. We're going to be coming back to it one more time later. But Jesus received the offering of bread and fish to feed the 5,000. That bread and fish was a seed to produce a harvest to feed 5,000 people. See, God says, Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. But with the same measure that you use it, you use it, you sow it, it will be measured back to you. You gotta sow it, you gotta use it. We missed that part. Okay? In Acts 10, God saw the giving of Cornelius. He also heard his prayer. Okay? And he sent an angel to Peter to change his destiny. You know, when you sow seeds, God will send angels. Even a messenger. Because if God can't get your attention to a man, he'll send an angel to get to wake up the man. And he had to give Peter that message three times before he got his attention. But he got it. Okay? Second Corinthians. I don't have time to read it all, but we'll come back to this later. Paul encouraged cheerful giving. And he explained how such giving would unleash all grace. So that we, in order that we, the, that the giver, would have an abundance for every good deed. This is so awesome. I mean, I want to go over this again. And when we look at this morning, I wish we I had time to look at the, the actual scripture. But Paul encouraged cheerful giving. Not just giving. Because if we don't give it cheerfully, we might as well not give it. Okay? But he explained how such cheerful giving can unleash God's grace. So that we, the giver, would always have abundance for every good deed. That's how God's kingdom works, folks. See, your seed is the doorway to your destiny. Everything is a seed. Meaning, your thoughts, your words, your actions, your resources. Whether that just be oil. Whether that be just five loaves and two fish, God will use your everything as a seed, as you trust him, as you give it to him. Because a seed, a seed 
will always have a harvest that is bigger than a sow. <clears throat> okay, all these can be sown into the kingdom. And when they are sown, when a seed is sown, it's a very simple lesson, folks. When a seed is sown, it will multiply according to its guide. Your confession, your reception of Jesus was a seed that forever changed your destiny. When you received Jesus, folks, Jesus was a seed that changed your life forever for all eternity. Grace flows from the principle of the seed. Future provision, future abundance, is found in the seeds of our thoughts, of our words, of our actions, of our attitudes, and also our resources. See, increase is designed in every seed. Every seed is designed to multiply, to increase. Every seed. So be intentional in your sowing. If you don't like your harvest, then you need to change your seed. If you don't like corn, stop sowing corn. Sow, sow, sow cocoa beans. I like cocoa beans. Process cocoa beans. Okay? But be intentional in your sowing. If you don't like your harvest, change your seed. Okay? If you need a bigger harvest, plant more seed. Am I making sense? Okay? Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. You might not have resources, but you have a heart. And you have the fruit of the Spirit, and you can sow love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and even temperance. You can eat that. Within that fruit, there is seed. Excuse me. Have you ever seen any fruit that doesn't have a seed in it? The fruit of the Spirit is seed. You have God. You have Jesus. You have His Word. You have His Spirit. You have His nature. You have His name. You have His blood. You have a lot. You have a whole kingdom. And the harvest, the harvest is always larger than the seed conceived. Your seed is your opportunity. Now, I want to close with this story, or with this principle of the mustard seed. And we see it in Luke 17, 6. We're going to read it, and we're going to come back to it. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots, and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Remember Jesus? He says, you feed them. In the whole story, if you read the whole story, we're going to look at it in just a moment. The, he calmed the storm and the sea. And this is a different story, excuse me. But they marveled that the storm and the waves obeyed him. Jesus said, things, obstacles, trees, can obey you if you have faith as a mustard seed. 
It will obey you. You have authority, and you don't know it. Everything Jesus did, the Word of God says you can do, and even more greater things. Because he goes to the Father, and Jesus is at the Father. See, how often have we been exhorted through the years, you only need a little bit of faith, the faith of a mustard seed. Yet, many people have little faith, but big problems. And something's like, something's off. Why is it not working? Because we, we're taught all these years, we just need a little bit of faith. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to sound like I'm talking out both sides of my mouth, and I'm going to come back with the, with, with the punchline. Okay? Jesus was extolling the virtues of faith in Luke 17. He was extolling the potential of faith in Luke 17 when he was talking about the mustard seed and moving the mulberry bush to the sea and it by our, because it obeyed us. Okay? In Matthew 8, the disciples were in the boat with Jesus. He was asleep, and they were terrified by the raging storm that they finally had to wake him up. Why are you sleeping and watching, waiting for us to perish? How many of you have been knocking on God's door? Like, where have you been? Don't you see what I'm going through? Why are you sleeping while I'm perishing? We might not have said those words, but many of us have acted like that. Okay? I've been there. Okay? Don't, don't look at me in that tone of voice because I've been there myself. We pick up the story, verse 26. But he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, Why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. And then he arose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Everything they wanted came in an instant. But I can, I can elaborate on the story. But he rebuked their little faith. Jesus just used the phrase, little faith, in a negative way. I'm not reading into the story, right? Okay? Jesus was pointing out the size of their fear versus the size of their faith. <coughs> but what happened to the mustard seed? I thought all we needed was a seed, faith like a mustard seed. What happened to that? Because I don't know about you, but I, I've read the Bible all my life, and I've heard Mark, Luke 17 about the mustard seed, and I read stories like this, and there seems to be a conflict. We're all, we've been taught all our lives we just need little faith, and here they were rebuked because they have little faith. <coughs> well, let's go to Matthew 14. In Matthew 14, Peter took a giant step of faith. Okay? Peter walked in the water to to Jesus. Excuse me. How many of you have done that? How many of you have walked on water? How many of you would agree with me that walking on water is, <coughs> excuse me, is a big step of faith? However, he took his focus off of Jesus and began to focus on the storm and the waves. 
that a storm was just too much for him. How many of you began a, took a big step with your job, with parenting, with ministry, with your business? And you started well, you took a big step of faith. This was a big nut for you. This was a big thing for you to do. But then somewhere along the way, you got focused off Jesus and got focused on the storm, and the storm just began to overwhelm you, and now it's overtaking you. And the first thing you can do, the only thing you can do is say, Jesus, help me. Because you began to sink. I don't know about you. I tried walking on water a few times on a swimming pool. And when you sink, begin to sink, it's not like a gradual elevator where you just begin to go down slowly. I mean, it's an instant. It's in the blink of an eye. You're already at the bottom of the pool. And we pick up the story in verse 31. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And my first thought is, that's good reflexes. <laughs> I mean, it's a millisecond. When you begin to sink, and said to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you die? How can you tell someone who's been walking on the water, Oh, you have little faith? Why did you die? Again, Jesus rebuked little faith. Even though Peter had huge faith by walking on water previously. But in the millisecond, he got his eyes off Jesus on the storm, he began to sink. And Jesus rebukes his little faith. Fear overcame his faith. It clobbered his faith. Wasn't little faith enough? It could move the mulberry bush into the sea. How, how many of you done that? I mean, Peter walked in water. How many of you done that? How many of you have told the mulberry bush to go in the sea and obeyed you? Okay? What happened to the mustard seed? Let's look at one more. Matthew 16. Matthew sure has a lot to talk about this. Anyway, the disciples forgot to bring bread for the journey with Jesus. And so they were squabbling. How many of you have squabbled? As siblings? In the church, you squabble. And hey, you forgot to bring the communion bread. Whatever it might be. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you reason among yourselves? Because you have bought no bread. You know, they, this was a habit of theirs, because many times they had to feed the multitudes. Again, little faith is not being exalted as being enough. Wasn't a little faith enough? What had happened to the mustard seed? Let's be real, let's be frank. In each case, little faith is a negative. Yet we've been taught all we need is a little faith. Getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. So what about the mustard seed of faith? Because we read that. So Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry bush, go be planted in the seed and it will obey you. <clears throat> Do you see it? Jesus wasn't explaining the power of little faith in Luke 17. He said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, That's what he said. If you have faith as a mustard seed, Jesus would explain how faith works. 
if you have faith as a seed. He never used the word little. We added that word through the, through the centuries, through the decades. You can speak to obstacles. If you have faith as a seed, you can speak to obstacles and they will obey you. It's not the size of the faith is being discussed. Faith is a seed. I don't care if it's some big, big pumpkin seed or a mustard seed. Faith is a seed and faith must be sown. Because faith, seed faith speaks. I had a whole message on this two years ago. But he says, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, and therefore I spoke, we also believe, and therefore speak. 2 Corinthians 4.13. I have a whole teaching series on that. I spoke on this uh, about two years ago. Faith speaks, and according to Mark 11.23, for surely I say to you, whoever says that this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea, just like the mulberry bush, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. We can move mountains, we can move mulberry bushes, we can feed the 5,000 because Jesus said we could. We can walk on water because Jesus said we could. Nothing is impossible to him who believes. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 The just, the righteous, lives by his faith. It's faith in his grace. It's not faith without grace, and it's not grace without faith. That is faith. See faith in action. Little faith cries out in fear. Little faith speaks about the problem, and that's all it talks about. But see faith speaks to the problem. See, little faith speaks about the problem, but see faith speaks to the problem. Speaks to the mountain. Speaks to the mulberry bush. Speaks to the storm. Speaks to the fish. Speaks to the... Little faith speaks about the pain, but see faith speaks to the pain. By Jesus' stripes, be healed in Jesus' name. See faith sells words of authority. See, in Christ, we are victors. We are not victims. See faith speaks to the Goliath. I come against you in the name of the Lord. Sowing your faith by speaking God's word into every circumstance. See, I don't allow my circumstances to tell me what I can and cannot do. I tell my circumstances what God's word says I can and cannot do. My circumstances are not my Lord. I tell my circumstances to bow to the name of Jesus that I've been baptized into. To bow to the word of God. 
If my circumstances are not lining up to the word of God, I have authority to speak to my mountains, to speak to the trees, to speak to the thing, and command it to line up to the word of God. Hallelujah. Spoken seeds of faith, words are powerful. Folks, everything I'm talking about this morning is all about prosperity. I didn't really talk about finances. Okay? It, this is the benefits of our salvation. See, God's blessing is on our lives. God, we are God's covenant people. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get well, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is today. Folks, we have a great salvation. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the people of God. And we need to start focusing on the seed and stop focusing on the need. And we need to start speaking to things to line up to the word of God and do what God's called to do, to be who God's called to be. We have favor with God, we have favor with man, and we have a good understanding. We are the people of God. We are the church of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We don't stop saying you can't do it. If God tells you to do something, stop saying you can't do it and making God a liar. And start doing what when Jesus tells you as a disciple, go feed the 5,000. Some of you have been whining and complaining about what you can't do. I've been doing it too. I hear it on Facebook all the time. I can't do this. I can't do that. I, you know, you know, about less than one, and I'm, again, don't take, some of you are going to take this as me complaining. But less than 1% of you sow into our ministry. There's a, there's a small percentage that keep asking me for money. And you never sow into this ministry. You want to harvest without sowing. And maybe you don't have money. I get that. But take the principles I'm teaching and use it in your community. Use it where you are. And God wants you to feed and feed and minister to your village, to your community, to your family. And it's not about me you, you supporting this ministry. That's not what it's about. There's a principle there. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about that. Not just this ministry, but whatever you sow where you're fed. If I'm feeding you, if I go to a restaurant, I'm going to sow where I'm fed. If I go to In-N-Out, I'm not going to give McDonald's money. I'm going to sow where I'm fed. And I'm going to get into all that later. That's another topic for another day. But take these principles and change your circumstance. Because your circumstances can change by the word of God. And the principles of God, the divine resources of God, are not impacted by the natural circumstances of your region, of your village, of your country, of your government, of you. They're impacted by the word of God. And I can go. And same thing with us. We have visions, we have dreams, we have needs, and we need we, Sherry and I, this church, our business, the networks I'm a part of, we need to speak life into our circumstances. Because we are the people of God. We we're different. We're different. We're not my circumstances, the the natural economy is not my Lord. God's my Lord. 
And we are, need to get about my father's business. And we need to get to work. And I, I'm not saying I'm going to have a whole segment about working. And we need to work and we need to work hard. And we need to work faithfully. If you're not eating, you're not working. Okay? But don't work trusting you. Work trusting him. Put these principles to work. Listen to this message over and over again. There's some nuggets here, folks. And it's time to trust God. God bless you. Amen and amen. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.